as I mentioned earlier, we have Mark and Lisa Scandrett with us. They've actually been in Australia for the last five weeks. They've been all over the country, across to Western Australia, down to South Australia, throughout New South Wales. Um, they fly home tomorrow, so we are the last stop and we're really privileged to have them with us. Um, they'll share a little bit about their journey and who they are and what they do. If you remember last year, Mark was with us last year. Um, he was, he's been with us this weekend, they both have, and Mark did some teaching with our ministry leadership team on Friday. Uh, yesterday we had our Thriving Families Conference, which was just awesome. And if you were part of that, I, I know, having talked to many of you after it, that you were just so blessed and so encouraged to step into what family life can really look like. So um, if you've been journeying with us this year, you'll know that we've launched our new focus at the start of February, and out of that focus... We've had a bit of a, uh, a theme for the last few weeks around hospitality and what it means to be hospitable, how we're invited into that as followers of Jesus and what that can look like. And Mark and Lisa are going to continue to share into that space, not only this morning with us, but tonight as well. So can I invite you to come along tonight and, and hear uh, part two of this message, which will be really encouraging for us as a community. So can we welcome Mark and Lisa as they come on up? Give them a warm Coast Community welcome. And um, over to you guys. Have fun. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm Lisa. As you may have guessed, this is Mark. <laughs> and we're so glad to be here. I love your theme, and I've been seeing it at their house on the refrigerator and now here on the walls. Um, and it reminds me of a way that I've thought about my family that I came from growing up. Um, I used to tell people that the family I grew up in had elastic walls to our house, that they would expand and contract to let all kinds of people become part of our family for an evening or a couple of weeks or a few months or even permanently. And so um, I love that vision of enlarging your house and spreading out your home. And we're really excited to be here today to share with you the journey that our family has been on around hospitality. Um, this is my family. Um, you see Mark and I, and we have three young adult kids. Haley is 26. She's the smallest but the oldest. Um, the tallest one in the back there is Noah. He is turning 25 in just a few weeks. And our baby is Isaiah, who's 23 and still quite a, quite a large human being. <laughs> and these are the people that we've been privileged to do life with the last few years and the people the, that... The last have, 26 years. Yeah, the last <laughs> 26 years. It goes by like that. And um, they joined us on the journey that we began over 30 years ago in um, trying to figure out how do we extend God's welcome to the people around us. If you were with us in the session yesterday, you know that one of the values that we chose as a family was that of hospitality, especially to people who aren't easily welcomed into the usual circles that we um, often inhabit in our own cultures and in our own churches. And so um, we've been on that journey for a long time now, our whole married life. And um, part of that journey brought us to San Francisco, where we've lived the last 22 years, and that's been an exciting and fertile ground for figuring out 
how to love the people around us. Lots of opportunities. I don't think we'll ever exhaust all the opportunities for learning that lesson. Um, in San Francisco, just a little bit about us. Um, we run a nonprofit called Reimagine that we co-founded, and we seek to help people live out the teachings of Jesus in their everyday life, kind of where the rubber meets the road when we leave our gatherings together. Yesterday, we had a chance to speak from our book, Belonging and Becoming, and touched a little bit on um, another book we wrote called Free, Spending Your Time and Money on What Matters Most. So maybe you can hear we like to get super practical, and I hope we do this morning too. Uh, so this morning, what we're going to share about hospitality relates to some work that we've been doing the last three years on the Beatitudes. And so we're going to look uh, to this morning and this evening, look at one or two Beatitudes and what the implications for, that, for those are about, about hospitality. And um, what we want to focus on is not just the behavior of hospitality, but what is, how do you have to f- think and feel and see the world accurately the way Jesus did in order for hospitality to be natural. And um, so we'll get into that in just a minute. I would say that um, we're going to try and mix it up a little bit with our talk this morning. As you can see, Lisa and I are going to try and do this talk uh, together. We've never done this talk together, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, You're you're getting in a little bit of, (laughs) of an experiment. Yeah. And so the other part of it is we're going to invite you to participate in the talk. And so there will be a couple of times where I'm going to invite you to stand up and strike a pose with your body if you're able to stand. And then at another point, I'm going to invite you to turn and have a a four-minute chat with a couple of people around you during the talk. And then towards the end, we're going to invite you to join us in two practices for the week that um, uh, are expressions of living into this Jesus way of hospitality. So are you, are you up for, a, for participating with us? Can you give me a thumbs up? Awesome. Great. So um, just a couple of, I wanted to add a couple of things that, uh, just some connections um, here at Coast. Uh, er, last year, I had a chance to go to Dhaka, Bangladesh. I've been doing a, lot, a bit of work there the last 18 months or so. And a mate of mine named Andrew Renucci Uh, came along with me last January, and we got to spend uh, the better part of a week with a group of leaders there, which was uh, super fun. And then some of you might know the group Live Connection, a guy named Paul Ravenstein, and I got uh, some other Churches of Christ folks, and I got a chance to uh, do some teaching actually on the Beatitudes in Uganda and in Kenya uh, with them over the summer. So some fun things there. Let's get into it. So um, I want to introduce this morning by telling you a bit of a story. Uh, When my first book came out um, back in 2007, 2006, uh, I guess, uh, it showed up in bookstores all around the United States. And I got a letter from a guy afterwards who said, my name is Shinko Rick Sloan. I'm a 53-year-old Zen Buddhist priest. And he said, when I saw your book in the bookstore, I thought, here is a Christian that I could talk to about what's going on in my life. And I'd, I wonder if I would be welcome to come to one of your gatherings, one of your meetings, or if you'd be okay to meet with me. And I quick emailed him back and said, of course, I would love to connect with you. And I invited him over to our house the next Tuesday night. So 
Rick shows up at our house quite nervous. He's wearing his ceremonial robes, and he told me later, I thought I was going to be like in the presence of a TV Christian preacher. Like he had some, there was some trigger things and some trauma from his background with Christians, I guess. And um, after we settled into dinner, I asked him, um, so why did you want to meet? What did you want to talk about? And he said, well, Mark, when I was a young person, I had an encounter with Jesus, and I became part of a church community that ultimately became, uh, the leader was abusive, and some of the theology just didn't resonate with me. Um, We were the only right group, and everybody else was wrong and going to hell, and they told me that my job to bear witness to Jesus was to go to, to high school and tell the kids at school that they were going to hell if they didn't believe exactly what we believed, And I got really turned off by that. And I saw the expression on the faces of my friends at school when I did that sort of thing. And so I abandoned my faith, uh, journeyed towards more Eastern spirituality. And then, but he said, I'm up for Dharma transmission right now. And this is, um, what that means is that he's fully endowed with the teachings of the Buddha. And that there's an unbroken um, chain of teachers all the way back to Siddhartha. It's like being ordained. And he said, I'm up for that, but I've been hesitating to go through with it because when I sit zazen, when I sit and meditate, I hear Jesus calling to me, and I don't know what to do with that. So Rick and I became fast friends, and it was the beginning of a really rich friendship that continues to this day. And on the second time we got together, we went for a walk around our neighborhood, the Mission District of San Francisco, And uh, we were a strange pair walking around the neighborhood, this kind of hipster pastor and this aging Zen priest. And and Rick walks with a bit of a limp from a childhood injury. And uh, a lot of people people looked at us when we'd walk into cafes. Mostly they were intrigued by Rick, you know, because of his look. And um, I said to him, Rick, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. When you wake up in the morning... What do you want to be on about in the day as someone who's, a, who's practicing Buddhism? And in about four minutes, he could give me a very concise but detailed answer. He said, here's the four noble truths, and here's the eightfold path. These are the things that I'm trying to deepen my experience of when I wake up every day. And I thought, this is fascinating. And then he turned to me and he said, Mark, how about you? You say you're a follower of Jesus. What do you want to get on about when you wake up in the morning? And the first thing I thought of was, here's my chance to tell Rick how I became a Christian. And so I started preparing to tell him about how I received Christ at three years old and kind of it became more alive for me when I was 12 or 13. But then I thought, wait, Mark, that's not the question. The question is about now. When I wake up in the morning, how do I seek to follow the way of Jesus? And so I quick recovered and I thought of something. I said, Rick, I wake up in the morning. I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, pretty good recovery, I thought. (laughs) But I was still a little bit haunted because what I said was pretty vague. What Rick said was pretty specific. And I thought, no, first of all, no wonder many of us as Christians struggle to actually live in the character and power of Jesus if our answers to how to follow him are vague. Was Jesus as vague as my answer was? Kind of a big bumper sticker, but not very detailed. 
I don't think Jesus was vague. If you look at the um, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Dallas Willard calls it the curriculum of Christ-likeness. It's a detailed picture of what we could say we get up in the morning to get on about. And that, that kind of began my journey of saying, I want to find better language and a more detailed understanding of how to live in the Jesus way. And upon further reflection, I thought, I think one of my struggles is that in the kind of faith that I grew up in, I've learned uh, really well how to look in the past and say, here's what I believe. Here are the events that I have confidence in about the, uh, the life of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And I have a lot of confidence about the future, where, where I'm going to go when I die, that we have a hopeful future. But it's here and now where the struggle is. And I'm convinced that maybe this is the missing link for many of us in experiencing real vitality in our spiritual lives, that we have to learn to connect the, um, the, the teachings of Jesus to the messy details of life in the here and now. And I think that the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes, give us some pictures of that. It says uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus went up on the side of a hill to teach his disciples, and he said, Blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and blessed are you. When Jesus was uh, meaning to teach his disciples these things, he meant to be alone with them, but it was very common that other people would follow along. And a friend of mine named Matt Valor has done a bit of the um, background work on this. And it, generally in Jewish culture at the time, there was a lot of factions because of what was hap- the crisis that was happening with the Roman occupation of Israel. And so there was a group called the Sadducees who said, our way of dealing with this is we're going to collude with the powers that be, and we hope that they'll install us as puppet governors, and that's how we'll deal with this crisis of a loss of our rights. There was another group called the Pharisees, and they said the reason why the Romans are here are because we haven't followed the, um, the mitzvahs, the, the laws of God, in the most careful way possible. And if we double down on our devotion... God would honor us and kick the Romans out. And then there was a third group that said, it's not about collusion. It's, we're, we're following the law as much as we need to. This is time to act and to um, act courageously. And those zealots would um, initiate armed skirmishes across, uh, you know, to Roman outposts in different places. So if you can imagine this, that in the room that are in the space that Jesus was sharing his great sermon were... Sadducees, Pharisees, and zealots all there. How do you talk to a group of people like that? They don't get along, and you've got to say something that they can all connect with. It feels a little bit like trying to preach anywhere in America these days, to be honest with you, because we're in a really divided space. And I sense that sometimes uh, when I'm here in Australia as well. So Jesus begins his sermon with this strange word, makarios, which means something like, Oh my goodness, you who have such great fortune, you who are like the gods and goddesses. That's what that term blessed means in the original language. So if you can imagine it, Jesus is, um, Dallas Wood would say it like this. He'd say, when, he, when I would hear him teach on this, he'd say, if you can imagine Jesus looking out on that crowd and calling out blessings on the most unlikely people. So Jesus sees this guy who barely has clothes on 
because he's so poor. And he says, blessed are the poor, brother. Yours is the kingdom. He keeps looking, and he sees, he sees a woman who perhaps is wearing dark clothes as a sign of mourning. And he says to her, blessed are those who mourn, sister. God's comfort can come to you right in your situation right now. And then he sees this, um, the poorest la- day laborer. And um, someone who can, their work is just taking care of just a little bit of morsel of food each day. And he says, blessed are the meek, Brother Andrew. You're going to inherit the earth. So Jesus is calling out blessing on the most unlikely people. And he's trying to help people see that God's blessing doesn't just come to the most privileged, the most beautiful, the most successful. That anyone on the planet can experience the with God life in a way that brings satisfaction and wholeness. No matter what your story is, no matter what your situation is, God can meet you in that. And I believe that's true today as well. So I'm going to focus on just today, I wish I could share with you everything that Lisa and I have been exploring about the Beatitudes, but we're going to look at one Beatitude this morning that I think offers us a particular invitation related to hospitality. And it's this one here where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So what I want to do, and we could go through all the Beatitudes like this, but I, I had to pick one today, is I want to, I want to note the, that, um, can you send me back just one? There we go. That I think what's going on, one of the things that may be going on with the Beatitudes is that Jesus is pointing out the difference between our normal way of thinking and, and doing And the way that we could think and do if we were fully aware of God's care and presence with us, and that would change how we act in the world as well. Uh, Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of light. And that Jesus is painting a picture of 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 the transformation potential of moving from our instinctual, normal ways of thinking and doing to the new ways of the kingdom. And there's an opportunity here with this one about blessed are the peacemakers. So here's where I'm going to invite you to help me. Stand up with me for a second if you're able. And I want to suggest that our first tendency, our first instinct, is to think in terms of us versus them. So do like this. Us versus them. My family, your family. My footy team, your footy team. Um, Central Coast, Sydney, (laughs) New South Wales, Sydney, Melbourne, right? Um, my, My church, my beliefs, and yours. My favorite theology and the people you read and are interested in, right? That we have these tendencies towards this us and them mentality. And it's the cause of so much division in the world, so much conflict, And with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us to move beyond us and them thinking to something better. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you a question. And this is where I want you to turn and talk to somebody else. The question is, who do you tend to put on the other side of us and them? I'll go first and say, I have a tendency to think, um, historically, city people, because I'm an urban person, versus suburbs. Um, people who uh, have political leanings more like me versus, the, in my culture, the other party, right? There's only two parties. Um, 
I tend to have um, I tend to have some strong feelings about what's most truthful about how we look at Scripture, and then there's other people saying other things about it, and I put them on the other side. And some of this is uh, is maybe seems like it'd be significant, and others of it's it's very superficial. Uh, people who like third wave. Uh, single origin coffee and other people who like just the normal stuff that's not, you know, that's burnt, burnt coffee. But, and and um, so take a minute and turn to a couple other people and say, here's some of the th- ways that I have tended to think in terms of us and them. I'll give you about four minutes. All right, I'll give you about 20 seconds to finish up what you're saying and then we'll come back together. All right, let's come back together. You may be seated. It sounds like there was some spirited conversation going on about us and them. Would anybody be so bold as to share something that came up with the people that you were talking about that tends to be one of those things that there's two sides on? Yes. Parenting. Oh, my goodness. This is the age of parenting wars. Are you attachment parenting or whatever it might be? Um, I've, I've spoken at churches where they say we can barely get together in connect groups because of the differences in parenting philosophy between the members of our church community. What's another one? 
divorce and non-divorce, right? And that, I'm glad you mentioned that one, that a, that, um, a, a lot of people who are, are um, going solo in life or single parenting can feel othered, especially in our faith communities. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gay and straight, or straight versus any other possible gender uh, identity that you might have. Yep. Anything else? One more time? At work. Say more about that. Yes. Yeah. Front office, back office, engineers versus salespeople. All those kind of divisions, right. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> All right, let's just see. How many of us are gluten-free? <laughs> okay, it's a real thing, people. <laughs> and just so you know, my daughter is celiac, so it will kill her. It's not just a preference. So, but I try not to make a big deal about it. I bring my own rice cakes. You don't have, you don't okay. Okay. You don't have to give. You don't have to make any special allowances for me if you don't want to. So, um, what does it feel like inside when you're doing the us versus them? Does it feel light and does it feel joyous, or does it feel a bit heavy? We can tell a bit tense, right? I can even tell what it's doing with my relationship with the other person. I de- I declare an us and them. And if they're on my side, we sort of, yeah, we're, it's us against the world. But if I go, whoops, I just said something that, create, that drew the line, I can feel a bit of pain about that. Um, do, you, do you think, well, what would you think about the possibility that we could learn to live beyond us and them? Imagine how that would feel where that rather than dividing the world, we could find a way to find something in common with any person that we might relate to. Would, is that something you'd like? It's definitely the thing that Jesus invites us into with this, uh, these words of the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are those, the peacemakers. Jesus invites us, and you can do this with me, to reach past the differences to find ways to connect mm-hmm, and embrace uh, the, the person w- that we may have had a tendency to put on the other side. I think it's worth exploring why it is that we tend to do this. And uh, there, there may be a couple of reasons. One is that when we're in search of our identity, one shortcut to feeling safe and secure and feeling like we belong is by thinking, I'm with the right group. I'm in the right club. And so we do it because of that. Um, recent research I've read suggests that actually it's somewhat built into our biology that when I see a person who is of a, of a different race and ethnicity than me, that looks different than me, I trust them less than the person who looks more like my kind of ethnic origin. So I want to suggest that um, racism might even be built into our biology and that the gospel calls us into a way of life that transcends our biology. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit and, and to make a conscious choice to say yes to God's vision for our lives because of that. So um, I, think, I think this is your chance to take yeah. over, babe. One of the things that I, um, that I love about Jesus 
is that when Jesus invites us into a new way of living, a couple of things, two or three things happen, or more. I'm going to mention a couple of them. Um, First of all, Jesus shows us the way. Jesus lives out the things that we're invited into, suggesting that this invitation isn't an impossibility. This is something we really can do. And um, second of all, Jesus accompanies us as, as we do these things and um, helps us on our journey towards growth and change. So as we think about this us and them, and I think about Jesus, I see that Jesus often reached across those differences, um, went to the person who was always on the edge of the crowd and sat down with them and had the conversation with them. So we see Jesus doing that with the Roman centurion. We see Jesus doing that with um, the Samaritan woman. Jesus elevated the status of women in a time when women were their husband's property. Um, uh, Jesus did it with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. You know, somebody that if they were in our day today, we, we would scorn them too for cheating people out of money and so on. And these are the people that Jesus made a beeline for. He hugged people with infectious diseases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I want to look at one of those stories for a minute and um, see what we can see Jesus doing here. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to his town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was noon. So it sounds like Jesus wasn't looking for an adventure here, by the way. He was really tired from his journey, and he needed a bit of rest and refreshment. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And I would say men did not associate with women either. So in the story, we see Jesus crossing all the boundaries that he could in the situation. And we're seeing Jesus do something else. In this reaching across difference and boundaries, Jesus is asking for help. He is admitting his vulnerability to this woman and allowing her to serve him, which sometimes I think when we go out and we want to connect beyond differences, we come as the ones with the answers. We come as, I have something that you need, and I'm going to give it to you. But here we see Jesus breaking down the walls by asking for something. And that's really intriguing to me because that's an upside-down way to, to break down the barrier. And I have seen this so many times in my own experience. When we moved to San Francisco, prior to that, we had... Um, we had been really involved in a church. Mark was on staff. And we'd do these little forays out into... Um, the other. Yeah. <laughs> and we really had a good heart. Like, this was part of our journey. This is where we started. But we didn't have a lot of friends who weren't in our same social circle. 
And um, we were kind of in, I think the we call it the back then we call it the evangelical bubble. Yeah, and 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 we saw our forays out as as kind of a missions project. We're going to go do this. We've got something that all of these people need. And along the way, our journey started messing with us a little bit. Um, so, hang on. Yeah, you got to make this, um, no, no, share no, no, this no, no, story, no. and then you'll get into the other ones. So, no, that's not what I was oh, thinking. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, you guys are all uh, getting in on our little experiment here. So, when, when we began... To, when we moved to San Francisco um, and we began to try to reach past those differences, I began learning. Or I was surprised by how many times I thought that it was my job to show hospitality, and I was humbled by the fact that people who didn't know Jesus or people who weren't like me, the people I was trying to show kindness to, have taught me so many things about being hospitable being kind, and showing the kind of love that Jesus shows us. So I think you're going to hear some of that in the stories that we tell next about how we've, some things that we've learned about reaching past difference. So um, now you can click to the next slide. So three years ago was my first time in Australia. And um, I won't share the whole story of how it happened, but we found ourselves up in Port Augusta, being welcomed to country by an Animatna and APY peoples. And um, this was not something I thought would happen in my life. And I have since learned that in Australian culture, these are people who are often othered. Even though they were the original Australians, somehow they are now on the margins of society. But when we arrived, they, um, they roasted the kangaroo tail, they made damper bread, they made curry, they welcomed us to country, their leaders um, giving speeches, and it was just for us, just for us. And um, I was so humbled. We had never met before. And that began a friendship that I so deeply value right now. We've, we, um, we were able to spend time together that first year, The next year we came back, and then this year... Last week. Last week we were in Adelaide, and Mark was teaching... Well, we were both teaching a group of leaders about the Beatitudes. And Ronnie, my friend here, um, since the first year we were here, she has been practicing these Beatitudes and teaching them in the the places where she is as well. And... um, she had a chance to share with some of the leaders around one of the Beatitudes and some of her journey. And afterwards, one of those pastors stood up and he said, you know, I'm so glad you're here. I know I need to make more connection with my Aboriginal brothers and sisters. And Ronnie responded by saying, now, first of all, imagine it's Ronnie and one other person in the room who are of Aboriginal descent. Even in this, even in this space, they were in the minority. And, and wherever they go outside of the, that setting, they are also aware of being looked at in certain ways. Um, and we've heard their stories of it over and over and over. 
But her response was, hey, I'm all about relationship. I would be so happy to strike up a friendship with you. We live near each other. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, does that take the love of Jesus and courage to say, here I am. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. When you're feeling like the outsider. And so as, we have, as we've gone on our journey, those are the things that I have kept in mind um, like, when we're reaching past differences, one of the first steps is just to show up and say, let's be friends. Let's listen to each other and figure out how we can be friends. So, um, here's a picture of the time when Lisa and I first began trying to take steps to be more of peacemakers in our, our lives. And we invited our kids onto this journey with us. And we tried to take some more risky steps and one of them was that we, um, well, we realized uh, our traffic patterns, where we, where we live, where we shop, where we like to hang out, are generally with people who look like us and like what we like. And so we ha- um, took some intentional steps to connect across some of those boundaries. One of them was spending time with uh, people who live outside, people who struggle with dual diagnosis, mental health, and, um, and um, drug addiction that live in our neighborhood. And so we, and we were also exploring how to connect with, um, with non-Christians. So we were able to build some relationships with an artist collective and also with our homeless neighbors and bring them all together to make some art and to share some food together. And it was a, a really enriching step for us to reach past some of those differences that we, um, we traditionally had. Another big one, big step for me was I grew up in a, in a faith background where we, um, we talked about people who were gay or lesbian as over there and other. And, um, and I'd never stopped to consider that, say, in a room this big, statistically, there's probably four or five of us who have a, a same-sex gender orientation or um, something out of the norm. And... Uh, I had my first, developed my first relationship with a Christian person who identified as gay. And he taught me a lot about what it was like being in the church. And, and he desperately wanted to figure out how do I live life in a way that, uh, um, in, uh, that honors God. But it was often being, he, people were talking or making jokes in ways that made him feel other, even though he was sincerely wanting to follow God's path for his life in the best and most helpful way possible. And so um, I know that in the beginning, with my homeless neighbors, even with our Aboriginal friends, with my, this friend here, I made a lot of mistakes. I said a lot of stupid things and, <laughs> and asked some awkward questions that I probably shouldn't have been asking. And so it's been a big learning curve for us along the way. And it's been wonderful to find out that when we make those steps towards friendship, most of the time, the other person is really happy that we're trying to be friends and they'll forgive you or correct you or all of those things and the relationship can continue. I'm looking at the time and thinking yeah. we better just keep moving here. Um, I, I did want to say also though that like Mark said, this can be awkward or a little bit scary. And I used to tell my kids when we would go underneath the, the bridge, it's okay to feel awkward. And... Um, it's even okay to be a little bit nervous. We can do this together, and um, the rewards and the payoffs will be good. 
I would say, in general, wouldn't you say, Lisa, that the thing that we've experienced is more welcome than we have expected, and that these relationships have enriched our lives and are enriched our understanding of who God is, and that we found out over and over again how much more we have in common with the person that we previously put on the other side than we thought that we did as well. So we want to close, we want to invite you into two practices of the week, the week that will help strengthen our kind of mind and heart muscles for offering welcome and hospitality. So um, first one is to practice what I would call open speech. And I'm inviting you to join me in making a promise this week to avoid any us and them language or labels this week and to see how this uh, practice might transform your interactions with people. Sometimes we, we um, kind of... Uh, we, we re-emphasize us and them by how we talk with each other, right? And in our conversation, we keep putting somebody else on the other side. So I'm inviting you to make this commitment with me this week. And I'd say, I'm not done with this. Like, I, this is something that I continue to struggle with and finding ways to not, put, put, uh, not to do this. So here's the invitation that I will practice open speech. I promise to avoid us and them language. I won't label people by their race, class, culture, religion, or political preferences. If you'd be willing to join me, will you give me a thumbs up on this practice? Let's see what happens over the next seven days. And Andrew, maybe next week you can ask people how, 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 they, uh, how they got on with that. So it's been helpful for us to think of ourselves as the outsider. And as we get to know other people, be curious and see what we can learn rather than coming in with answers at first. And that helps us to develop some genuine friendships, which in turn helps us to unveil some of, some of um, our journeys together and share God's love with one another. Um, our second practice for the week that we'll invite you into is to have an encounter with someone you would normally put on the other side of us and them and ask what can they teach me and see how this transforms your interactions. So maybe pick one of those people that you shared about with someone else in that conversation earlier and look for a way to have a conversation and go into that conversation curious. Mm-hmm. Tonight we're gonna um, we're gonna move this a little more forward. So you're welcome to come back, and we're gonna look at some other uh, postures and practices that can help us really live open wide in hospitality. I want to thank you for um, for um, giving us a chance to to experiment with talking together today. And I want to say, if anyone's interested in leading a group through the Beatitudes, we're starting a six-week lab this Thursday that's designed to help leaders learn how to facilitate a practice group. It's kind of small on there, but um, if, you, if you give us our, your, your, address, your email address, we'll email you the link as well to this um, nine-fold path leaders group AU at Eventbrite there on the screen. But I want to close, I want to invite you to pray with us. So will you stand? And I'm going to pray these words with my mouth, but I invite you to take on these postures with your body. Lord, today, may we live Live with with open open hands, hands, mourn mourn what's what's broken, broken, serve with self-respect, use our our power for good, 
Look, Look with, with compassion. compassion. Walk, Walk in, in honesty. honesty. Reach, reach past difference. Suffer for love. And, and live fearlessly following the way of, of radical, radical love. love. Amen.